All right, let's take our Bibles. We're going to talk about a few good men, a few good men. But I got to start off with some corny dad jokes. So, you know, you got to groan a little bit as I share these, you know, because dad jokes tend to be corny, right? A dad was talking to his son. He was encouraging him to uh, get ready to take his driver's license test. But he said, son, before you get your driver's license, you have to cut your hair. And the boy thought for me, he says, well, dad, Jesus had long hair. He says, yeah, if you read the Bible, Jesus had long hair, but he walked everywhere he went. <laughs> right? What's the difference between a man's wallet before and after kids? There's pictures where the money used to be. Right? <laughs> what did the baby corn say to the mama corn? Where's popcorn? Right? That's a groaner. There you go. Well, dads may tell the corniest joke sometimes, but a dad or a father who's involved deeply and their children's lives as a very precious and important person in their children's life. The number of children living with two parents has dropped since 1968, while the percentage living with their mother only, single moms, has doubled. Look on the screen, some of these statistics, some of the negative things. In 1968, 85% of children under 18 lived with two parents. By 2020, 70% did. Children living with a mother only in the second, is the second most common U.S. living arrangement, a number that has doubled since 1968, 21%, according to the 2020 census figures. Do you realize 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes, five times the national average? 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes, 32 times the national average. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes, 20 times the average. And 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, nine times the national average. But here's some positive things to think about. Children with fathers who, invo who are involved in the family are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in school. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to get A's in school. And children with fathers who are involved are more likely to enjoy school and engage in extracurricular activities. So God is looking for fathers and men who will stand up for God and live lives that are blameless and righteous. So let's turn to our scripture reading in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now Paul, you know, he was a spiritual father to Timothy. And in this passage, he's kind of recounting the beginning days of Timothy's faith. And then he goes on to talk about the relationship and the encouragement that he gives to him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, let's read verses 3 through 7. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. I want to look at five character qualities that I believe fathers need to have and exhibit 
to stand strong in their faith and to be the leader for their wives and for their kids in the home as well. So I encourage you to take out your notes and uh, fill in these blanks. And we're just going to be very short and concise, very sumerial as we cover these particular character qualities. First of all, I think it's so important in this culture for men to be honest. Men to be honest. And I want to define that in three different ways. First of all, honest with God. Honest with God. Psalm 1914 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Every man in this room, every Christ follower in this room, that should be our heart's desire. In the morning, when we wake up for the day ahead, in the evening, when we go to bed, that the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart may be pleasing in his sight. When you do that, then you have an honest relationship with your heavenly father. Men of God, they own their sin and their shortcomings. They humble themselves before God in repentance. They seek to live a blameless life. No one in this life can live a perfect life. And I go back to that old bumper sticker from yesteryear. Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. And we need to remind ourselves of that. Sometimes we beat ourselves up as men because of our sin. Uh, we, We don't know what to do with it. We keep giving into it. But just remember that we're not going to be perfect in this life, but we can be forgiven and we can live a blameless life. But when we mess up, we do our part by making things right with God and our fellow man. That's what blameless living is all about. In Proverbs 12, 17, the writer says, whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. Proverbs 19, 1 says, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Integrity, character counts. Character will outlast all the fads of the culture over time. And we need to get that message driven home to our young people and to others around us as well. People are throwing away character like it's nothing. Another thing we need to do is be honest about God. Not only honest with God, but honest about God. Are we honest with others about our relationship with God? I'm not saying that we go to the break room at lunch and we stand up on the lunch table and we preach. I'm not saying that. But when the opportunity comes up or somebody asks you a question of what you think about abortion or fill in the blank, uh, same-sex marriage or whatever these issues are, how do you respond? Do you share from your relationship with God? I think about an article I read about a week ago about the Tampa Bay Rays. And, you know, this month is Pride Celebration Month, and, uh, but not all the Tampa Bay Rays were willing to participate in what the team wanted them to do. They wanted them to have a logo that had the rainbow colors on it and the TB on their hat to be rainbow. And so among the players who didn't wear the rainbow colors were pitchers Jason Adam, Jalen Beeks, Brooks Raley, Jeffrey Springs, and Ryan Thompson. The Tampa Bay uh, Times shared an article about this. It said team officials chose Jason Adams to speak for the group who refused to wear the rainbow colors on their uniform and hat. He told the Tampa Bay Times the decision was based on their religious beliefs. And I quote, this is what Jason Adams said, a lot of it comes down to faith, to be like a faith-based decision. So it's a hard decision because ultimately we all said what we want is for them to know that they are welcome and loved here. 
But when we put it on our bodies, I think a lot of guys decided that it's just a lifestyle that maybe, not that they look down on or anybody or think differently, it's just that maybe we don't want to encourage it if we believe in Jesus Christ, who's encouraged us to live a lifestyle that will abstain from that behavior. Just like Jesus encourages me, he said, as a heterosexual male, to abstain from sex outside the confines of marriage, it's no different. It's not judgmental. It's not looking down. It's just what we believe the lifestyle he's encouraged us to live for good, not to withhold. But again, we love these men and women. We care about them, and we want them to feel safe and welcome here. Ryan Thompson, another player, said, those of us who decided not to wear the patch or hat spent a couple weeks in prayer and a deep dive into scripture on the subject at hand to come to the decision that we did. He went on to say, if I believe the Bible is infallible and that everlasting life is attainable, yet I bow down to public opinion in the name of tolerance, is that love? I don't think so, end of quote. I love that way that he responded. We need to be known for what we are for, not just for what we are against. And he took a positive stand in a positive way that was very respectful. We need to be honest about what God says. What God says in Isaiah chapter 66 Verse 2, all these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. I've been meditating on this verse in my prayer time for the last six months. And I challenge myself and I challenge you men, do we tremble at God's word? Do we tremble at God's word? Do you realize in 586 BC, Jerusalem was captured by the Babylonians? The temple was looted and destroyed, and the Jews were exiled away from their land for 70 years. And then they were freed, and they came back and returned to Jerusalem from Babylon. And according to the Bible, Ezra recovered. He found a copy of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And they read it aloud to the whole nation. If you read in Ezra, I believe it's chapter 8. And from then on, the Jewish scribes solidified the following process by creating copies of the Torah and eventually other books in the, New, in the Old Testament. Now think about this. What I'm about to tell you, this is what the scribes had to do as they made each copy of the Old Testament. They could only use clean animal skins, both to write on and even to bind manuscripts. Each column of writing had, could have no less than 48 lines and no more than 60 lines. The ink must be black and had a special recipe for that ink. They were to verbalize each word aloud while they were writing. And here's the kicker. They must wipe the pen and wash their entire bodies and redress before writing the word Jehovah every time it was written as they copied it. Think about that. Do we tremble at God's word? Think about what the scribes went through to pay honor and homage to the word of God. Do you take God at his word as he says it and attempt to apply and align your life with the teachings found in his word? I encourage you to make that commitment today. If you commit to being honest with God, honest about who God is out in public and what he said in your life, you're on the road to living a no regrets life. And that's our application. Live a no regrets life. Going forward, maybe you have a lot of baggage. Maybe you have a lot of things in your past, but guess what? Today's a new day and you're a new creation in Christ and we can live a no regrets life going forward. A second characteristic we men need to exhibit and also ladies who are Christ followers as well is to be bold, to be bold. 
to we are to speak the truth in love at all times, at all times. I know we're very familiar with this scripture in Ephesians 4.15, but it should give us great pause when we are responding to people to have a sense of what would the Spirit want us to say in a spirit of love, but with truth as well. And obviously Jesus was the best example of that. Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Proverbs 27.6, I just think about this back in my college days, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It's better for someone who truly loves you to speak the truth to you, even if it's inconvenient, even if it's painful, but it's needed at the time because we all have blind spots in our life. And then we also need to speak the truth and be willing to accept the results. The results. See, many people in our culture who are believers, they're worried about the consequences. They're worried about what men will think of them or women will think of them. But we need to be bold in speaking to what God wants us to do. Peter is speaking in Acts chapter 4. This is the early church. He says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and sides of wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. You know, that's what I loved about those Tampa Bay Ray players. They were bold, they weren't disrespectful, but they shared the truth. We need to declare God's truth and our convictions about those truths when the time comes to share them. Men, are we open to God's call and leading in our lives? Are we willing to speak up for him in public when the opportunity comes our way? This week I read an article, another sports article, about Indianapolis Colts starting safety, Kyrie Willis. He's decided decided to retire after three seasons in the NFL. The reason? He wants to become a preacher of the gospel because that is what God has called him to do. In his statement to the team and to the public, Kyrie said, with much prayer and deliberation, I've elected to officially retire from the NFL as I endeavor to devote the remainder of my life to the further advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank all of my family, friends, and those who've supported me on this journey thus far, and I look forward to your continued support through the next phase of my life. I am both humbled and excited to pursue the holy call that God has for my life, which brings me much joy and purpose. His coach, Frank Wright, coach of the Indianapolis Colts, is a solid Christian guy, and he said this, we're thankful and appreciative of Kyrie's contribution to the Indianapolis Colts, both on and off the field over the last three seasons. As he spoke to ESPN, he said, Kyrie's character, leadership, and professionalism will be missed in our locker room as well as play on Sundays. I admire and respect his decision to transition into the next stage of his life and ministry, and my prayers will always be with him. But I want you to hear some of the comments that people wrote as a result of that. One commenter said, God isn't real, this is crazy. Another guy said, giving up a proven career that makes you millions of dollars for a magic man in the sky who doesn't exist is a strange choice, but all righty then. Another guy said it's pretty selfish for the being you worship to essentially strip you of your childhood, teenage, and college years to train and give it your all to the sport of football 
for you to reach the pinnacle of the sport in the NFL, and then this God say, now nah, go teach others about me instead. One other said, brother, if my God ever told me to quit on making millions of dollars to be a priest instead, I would straight up tell him to kick rocks. And one other said, nah, man, there's plenty of other gods, bro. I wish I had this opportunity to just get a different God and keep getting that money coming in. So even though they respond that way, we have to be true to what God is challenging us to do and what he's leading in our life is. We need to have the boldness of the disciples, the early church believers, and the apostle Paul. You realize more than any other phrase in the Bible that God says, he says, fear not, over and over and over again. Now is the time for us men to go big or to go home. Now it's time for us to be all in on God and make him famous. Do you realize that phrase, go big or go home, uh, was from a marketing uh, process that they used with porker pipes in the 90s. They made exhaust systems for Harley-Davidson's in Southern California. Go big or go home was on their packaging, and that is our application. We need to go big or go home. We need to be bold. We need to stand up in this culture and be the light. The third characteristic to be reminded of today is to be courageous. Courageous. In my devotions yesterday, I was reading that each year on June 18th, the great Battle of Waterloo is recalled to what is, what is now Belgium. That's where it occurred. On that day, in 1815, Napoleon Bonaparte's French army was defeated by a multinational force commanded by the Duke of Wellington. And since then, the phrase to meet your Waterloo has come to mean to be defeated by someone who is too strong for you or a problem that's too difficult for you. When it comes to our spiritual lives, some people feel that ultimate failure is inevitable and it's only a matter of time until each one of us will meet our Waterloo. But the Bible teaches that we have victory. We have victory over this world. In 1 John 5, 4, the apostle said, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's our faith in the word of God and the promises that he's given us, the power of the Holy Spirit, that resurrection power that lives within us, that helps us to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we need to live with abandon for God, live with abandon for God. That's what those early disciples did. They dropped their nets and they followed Christ. That wasn't symbolic. They were leaving their livelihood behind. Some of them left their families behind. And they didn't know where Jesus was going to take them. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus challenges his disciples then. He said, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Jesus is saying, hey, if you will follow me, and if that means that you have to leave things behind, do it for me because you will be blessed, you'll be rewarded, you'll be given great opportunity when we get to heaven. My wife and I, as we follow God's leading, we've always lived about 900 miles from our family. But we always found that our kids were raised with uh, grandparents in the churches that we were at. And it was such a blessing to do that. You, do, you go where God leads you to go. So give God your life with your hands open, with your palm side up. Give God the blank check of your life. 
Don't try to rationalize or bargain with what God says, but do as he says with an absolute unwavering trust that he always has your best interests in mind. And the best place we could ever be is to be in the center of God's will, no matter where it is. And we need to follow that. So live in victory, live in confidence. When you fall, confess your sin. You know, knock the dust off when you fall down and get back on the horse and just keep riding. And then live with the fear of the Lord alone. Live with the fear of the Lord alone. In 1 Thessalonians 2.4, it says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Now think about that. God chose us, approved us, and he entrusted us with the most precious thing, the good news of Jesus Christ. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. As I've often said before, we, you and I, we should be playing to an audience of one. Carson Wentz, who now plays for the Indianapolis, no, he plays for Jacksonville Jaguars. He just got traded. But he has a tattoo on his arm. It says AO1, audience of one, that reminds him who he's playing for when he's playing quarterback. So here's your application. Live for God and let the chips fall where they may. Live for God and let the chips fall where they may. The fourth character quality we need to possess and develop as men is this, to be servant leaders. Servant leaders. The motto of a good husband and a good father is to learn to work with and develop a team by submitting to one another. Many pastors are quick to rush past Ephesians 5.21 and get into the you know, the whole thing of women should be submissive to their husbands and husbands are to love their wives. But the preface to that is this. In Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's where it begins. Husbands and wives submitting to one another, working together, looking out to the world as a team and how we're going to approach this. Romans 12.3, Paul said, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Remember this, that no one is better than you, and you are not better than anyone else. You're unique. You have unique fingerprints, unique personality. Everything about you is, is different from anyone else, even identical twins. Because God has a specific plan and purpose for everyone that he has created. And then humility begins in the heart. Humility begins in the heart. Proverbs 23.7 in the King James Version says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's about keeping your promises, men, to your wife and your kids. It's taking the time and having the patience to teach your boys and girls helpful skills for the future. One of the things, I love my dad. My dad was a very godly man and did many things. But when it came time to teach me how to do things around the house, he didn't have the patience to do that. We need as men to take the time and have the patience for that. Teach boys how to be men, spiritually, emotionally, physically, and recreational opportunities, work ethic, and how to be responsible, a man and woman in public in the future. Moms, teach your girls how to be girls. Be intentional working with the kids in your family to learn that their gender orientation is found in who we are in Christ, how God created us in our mother's womb 
and how our gender was revealed at birth. We are all on a quest to know God that made us and for his purposes while we're here on earth. Now, these purposes change as the seasons of life change as well, as our kids grow up. Parents of adult children serve best as counselors and advisors when asked for their advice by their kids. I've learned firsthand that unsolicited advice is not well received by your adult (laughs) children, right? They're not under your uh, purview anymore. And then humility is evidenced in the home. In the home, in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So while you have kids in the home, fathers, let them see your power under control. That's what humility is. Power under control, your meekness. Put yourself in your kids' shoes. Try to look at things from their perspective. Find creative ways to teach lessons at their level that's relevant for their age that they can understand. Teach them in creative ways the truths of the Bible and and examples of things that you do. The application here is to be man enough to admit you're wrong at times and ask for forgiveness. That's so important. I see many men, they think it's a weakness to, sh- to explain to their family that they've done something wrong. I found you'll get greater respect from your wife and your kids if you're honest and you admit when you've done something wrong and seek reconciliation and forgiveness. You're teaching them how to reconcile when they get older. <clears throat> well, all these character qualities are important. We just have a couple minutes left, but this one stands out probably as most important for me in this day and age to be an encourager, to be a coach. I want you to be a Barnabas, men. Be a Barnabas. Why do I say Barnabas? Well, his name literally means son of encouragement. You think about when Paul had that blinding light experience on the road to Damascus and Jesus, um, you know, came and talked to him and he turned his life over to Christ. And then he came and he tried to talk to the apostles, but none of them wanted anything to do with them because he was a persecutor of the believers. Maybe he was trying to be an undercover guy to get inside and figure out a way to to bring more persecution. But remember, in the book of Acts, it was Barnabas who met with Paul, believed the story, and was the bridge to bring him to relationship with the apostles and the early believers. Be a Barnabas. It says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, For you know how, like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. What he's saying there is be encouraging, be comforting, be urging your children and grandchildren in their faith and be sure it's their own faith, that they have their own biblical worldview. Be there to affirm and cheer your kids on at their events. The time goes by so fast of being able to go to their ball games. Uh, with your kids and your grandkids. Cherish those opportunities. Find the good in your kids and grandkids and commend them for the good that they do. And lastly, be a Paul. Be a Paul. Paul was a mentor to Timothy, as we read in 2 Timothy 1. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. He was going to leave it all behind pretty much to Timothy when after he was executed. In Philippians 2.22, we see the heart of Paul's relationship with Timothy. But you know, Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Be a mentor to your son and daughter. Teach them what manhood and womanhood look like and how to do it. Teach them how to treat people with dignity and respect of the opposite sex. 
Help them with school, school projects, practicing for sports, just having fun with them. Let them know you're a dad who likes to have fun. Teach them a work ethic and taking responsibility for themselves. Teach them how to fear the Lord and honor him by serving in the church. Treat your wife well so that you model your love for your wife just like Christ modeled his love for the church. They will learn more by what is uh, caught than taught, by what they see, by the example. Lead by example. Our application here is this. Be your family's biggest fan and cheerleader. Be your family's biggest fan and cheerleader. God needs strong men to lead their homes and to be leaders in church, in the church and in the community while standing for God. We got to do that. Here's our key thought as we close. God is looking for a few good men to fight the good fight and finish well. Some of you've already seen, but last night I put on our PVBC community group Facebook page the video from the Gaither vocal band. It's a song written by Bill Gaither called A Few Good Men. Many of you probably have heard it over the years. But here on the screen, here's just a couple of verses in the chorus as we close. It says, what this dying world could use is a willing man of God who dares to go against the grain and works without applause. A man who raised the shield of faith, protecting what is pure, whose love is tough and gentle, a man whose word is sure. God doesn't need an orator who knows just what to say. He doesn't need authorities to reason him away. He doesn't need an army to guarantee a win. He just needs a few good men. And the chorus says this, men full of compassion who laugh and love and cry, men who face eternity and not afraid to die, men who fight for freedom and honor once again. God just needs a few good men. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for this reminder today, and I pray for the men and women of our church. These are character qualities that all of us as believers need to have in our current time, and our current culture. Lord, you have uh, planned for us to live in this time, in this place, that you've put us in this time of need in our country to represent you, to be the light that's brighter than the darkness, that that light draw. Uh, people to itself, Lord, that need you. So Lord, help us to be godly examples as men today in our homes, in our workplace, in our recreational opportunities, and out in the world as we do business, do it with integrity. Help us to be one of those that you call a few good men who will live for you. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.